You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Broadmoor's middle school associate, Jordan Two, preaches from Colossians 2, 6-15, where the Apostle Paul reminds us of what Christ has done for us and how, as believers, we've been made alive in Christ. Our prayer is that we would be encouraged and challenged by God's Word today. Good morning, church. How are we? Good. If you would have your Bibles, turn to that passage that was just read for us, Colossians chapter 2. That is where we are going to be this morning. Uh, my name is Jordan Tu. I am the middle school associate, and I'm very honored to be able to stand up here and uh, to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, just uh, as we have already mentioned, though, as Mike mentioned at the, at the top of the service, I would just love to take a moment and just to acknowledge this weekend and uh, all that it means for so many uh, of our families uh, in our church and just so many around the world. And so with it being Memorial Day, I would just love if we could take a moment and just um, pray over the men and women who have served our country and ultimately made that sacrifice for us and them as family members. Um, So if you would just join me in prayer as we kind of uh, dive in this morning. Father, we are so grateful that we can freely gather uh, this Sunday here in freedom and in peace. And Father, for the men and women who put their lives on the line every single day, Father, for for this weekend, we honor and we acknowledge those who have made that sacrifice for us. Father, I pray that you would be with the family members of those who have given their life and service for our country. Father, provide them with peace and comfort. Just overwhelm them with their love and your grace and your mercy. Father, we just thank you for this weekend and we pray all this in your name. Amen. So, Like I said, with it being Memorial Day weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend signals a lot. And with so many uh, different things going on, I know for students, for for parents, teachers, the school year is over, exams are done, it is time to go to the beach, it is time to go on the cruise, it is time to do all the fun things that summer entails. Uh, But it's also just an exciting time for us here at Broadmoor. We have so, so many amazing things happening right now. We have three mission teams on the ground right now in different places. We have a team in Puerto Rico, we have a team in Brazil, and we have a team in Guatemala who I had the very privilege and joy of waking up at 4.30 and driving to the airport yesterday morning. It was an awesome time to pray over them and see them off. Uh, we also have a team leaving for Brazil, uh, for Canada in a few weeks and also for England. So just so many amazing things that God is doing in our church right now. You also heard it at the top of the service as well. Wow week is coming. A week from tomorrow, we are going to have over a thousand kids on this campus, over 200 students, countless adults and volunteers. It is going to be an absolutely amazing week. One of my favorite weeks of the year, and I truly can't wait to see all that God's going to do uh, in the lives of our students and kids. Like I said, my name is Jordan Tu. I am the middle school associate here at Broadmoor. If you have been around for a minute. You may have seen me walking through the halls. Uh, My family has been uh, members here since 2008. So actually when I was a middle school student. And so it's a really cool uh, just picture of the fact that I now get to work with middle school students as the middle school associate and to get to serve them every day. It's just such a cool opportunity. And I just want to say, you know, to Josh and the incredible staff that I get to work with every single day. I am blessed beyond measure to come into a place where I get to work with people that I love, enjoy, and that I learn so much from. Not just as a pastor, um, not just as the middle school associate, but as uh, a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, as all these things. They um, have equipped me every single day. And likewise, if you have ever uh, played a role in my life, uh, in, in my spiritual development, specifically as um, life group leaders here, uh, I, I could name countless, countless 
uh, people who have spoken in my life over the years, but uh, I just want to thank you for how you have poured into my life because it does make a difference. And uh, likewise, for those of you serving in our Next Gen Ministries right now, I want to thank you for all that you do. Uh, I know there's weeks where it doesn't seem like it's doing much. It's, there's weeks where you want to pull your hair out, um, but what you do matters, and we are incredibly thankful for all that you do. Like I said, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 this morning, and when Josh uh, approached me and, and offered me this opportunity, he said, you can choose anything you want in uh, the Bible, or I can give you something. I said, yes, please give me something, because I will never be able to decide if you just let me uh, read through the whole thing. So when I read Colossians chapter 2 that uh, Josh kind of mentioned I got really excited. I got really amped up because there's so many amazing things about this passage. One, for the believer. For the believers in the room, this is a beautiful picture of what the Christian walk looks like. What does it mean to walk in Jesus every single day and, and practical steps for that? Likewise, for the non-believer, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of encapsulating the gospel. So if you ever find yourself at a, at a lunch table or, 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 or a meal or, or, or having a gospel conversation, I would highly encourage you, look at Colossians chapter 2. It is a beautiful picture of the gospel. And so with that being said, just, just to kind of set the stage for us a little bit, kind of where we find ourselves this morning, Colossians is a letter written by Paul to the church at Colossae. Now, what we need to understand is Colossae, in the grand scheme of things, not that important. We see the letter written here. We see um, Paul mention it. He has a heart for the people. But in all actuality, we really don't see too much reference to it. We don't see a whole lot of um, other mentions in the New Testament. But what we do know is this, is that Paul, as he was going throughout his ministry, finds himself in, in Ephesus. And one day Paul's going about his ministry in Ephesus and this man named Epaphras it's, a, it's an awesome name. Epaphras comes and he hears the gospel from Paul. He responds to the gospel and he's then commissioned by Paul to go and to preach the good news in his hometown of Colossae, which is where we find ourselves here today. So this church, the gospel movement has taken shape. It is going about and this church is really, it's starting to be built up. But like a lot of the cities in the Roman time, Colossae was a very religiously pluralistic community. Now that is a really, really big fancy way of saying they had a lot of gods. They had a sun god, a moon god. If there was a god for something, they probably had a god for it. And what they found themselves doing is this culture was very, very adamant on, on taking different beliefs from one another. They, they, they were a very blended religious community. So this one group over here, they may believe in one thing and they say, oh, that's really good. And then this group over here, they may say, well, I really like what they say about that. And they would take these and they would merge the two together. There was a big belief in mysticism and, and, and spiritual beings that could, that could make you have elevated thinking, that you could have access to things that we didn't primarily have access to. And all of these things are coming into play. And what we find here at the church at Colossae is we see this, this new teaching is really starting to take root in the church. And so these people who, who were proclaiming Christ, who, who responded to the gospel, they're being drawn away. They're being tempted to by this new teaching because what at the heart of it really is it's this idea of Jesus and something else. Because one of the things that this, this new idea was teaching was really that, hey, that's not a bad thing. What you responded to, that's not a bad thing. But if you also tried this, and what we're going to see here is that Christ is completely sufficient for everything we need. And just to, again, set the stage for us today, church, I want us to take a frame of mind of, of where we find ourselves today. If we really step back and, and look at 
Christianity across not just America, but the world. We are becoming more and more okay with this idea of taking different beliefs and kind of merging the two together. Man, I really like what the Bible says, but have you seen what this says over here? We like to, we like to pick and choose our favorite scriptures. Man, I really like what Jesus said about this, but eh, this verse over here, I don't really think that counts. We're just going to leave that out. We're becoming more and more infatuated with this idea of all these different beliefs and, and just merging the two together, not seeing anything wrong with it. But what we're going to see here today is, is Paul is saying this word is complete, it is full, it is true, and it is the word for us as believers to follow. Now, as we go through this, you may feel a little bit of attention for Paul to address this new teaching. And what we're going to see is Paul doesn't really focus so much on this new teaching as so much he focuses on the gospel. Because what Paul knows to be true is that the gospel changes lives. It changes people. And when he points these people towards the gospel, he knows that that will trump anything else. So he's not going to go blow for blow and say, hey, here's X, Y, and Z for why this is wrong and here's why it's right. But he is going to solely focus on the gospel and point the believer to the gospel. And so with that being said, let's not wait any further. Let's dive right in. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start in verses 6 and 7. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul starts this portion of the letter. Really, he's going to try and positionally remind the Colossians of the decision they once made. He's saying, hey, you guys were once followers of Christ. This is something you responded to. And that decision you made, it was not just a one-time thing. It wasn't just this one opportunity that you get to say, hey, that sounds really good. I'm all in. But what he is saying is he's reminding them, you committed yourselves to them, so walk in Christ. That, that so walk in him. We see that imagery a lot. Paul is a big fan of the saying. He uses it seven times uh, in the Ephesians letter. It is this beautiful imagery. We see so much throughout scripture. We, we see so many references, metaphors to this idea of the Christian journey, of the Christian life as some form of movement across time, a race, a walk, right? We hear that term, run the race with endurance. As Christians, we're called to run the race with endurance. And that's great. And it is a beautiful passage. But it also reminds me of all the struggles of life. It reminds me that when the tough times come, and they will, as Christians, we need to be steadfast and keep moving forward. And it's a great passage. But as, as I hear this verse, so walk in him, it's a little bit more my speed. I don't know if you're like me. It's a little bit more my speed. But this this idea of what does it mean to walk in Christ? What does it mean that every day that your feet get out of bed and they touch the floor, every step you take on your journey that day, you're walking stride and stride with Christ. In every situation you find yourself, Christ is there. And I don't know if you're like me, I, I always preference anything that I say up here as, as, a, as a part of us, I would never say anything that I don't struggle with myself. And there are days when my walk with the Lord is like I have two left feet. There are days when I'm off, there's days when I don't even get out of bed. But for the believer, what does it look like to walk in him every single day? Because what Paul is saying here is just as you have received Christ, you're now called to walk in him. There is an action step that is required of us when we put our faith in Christ. Because what I think, I think a lot of times what we get so focused on is that, is that one moment where we accept Jesus, when we enter into a relationship with him, we think, man, that is the culmination, that is everything, and we're good. Man, I, I prayed that prayer, I, I walked down front, I, I got baptized, I did all those things, and I'm good. But in all actuality, 
That's when the work begins. As believers, that's when the journey begins. That is when we step out in faith. That is when we truly walk in Jesus. Because if we were truly only here to enter into a relationship with Jesus, if that's all it was, then as soon as we did that, we could just go up to heaven. We're good. But that's not what happens. When we enter into a relationship with Christ, we're then called to go preach the gospel, to share the good news, to do all these things, to walk in Christ. We are called to walk every single day in complete submission and obedience to God's will for our lives. We just spent 30 weeks in Romans. 30 weeks is a long time, and it was amazing every step of the way. But what we see here is exactly what we saw in Romans. For all the theological doctrine we learned about in Romans, at the end of the day, Paul is saying it's not just enough to know. It's not just enough to make that decision. There's action steps. Believer, we are called to go and to walk in Jesus every single day. And so what we see here is, is Paul uses two different metaphors to really describe the Christian walk. He uses an architectural metaphor and an agricultural metaphor. And, and while these are going to do two different things, they do two different things, they're kind of a both and. And they, for lack of a better word, they really build off of one another. So let's look at that first one, that first one, what it means to be rooted in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says, As believers, that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And the reason that verse is so great is because when we think about this idea of being rooted in Christ, what we don't want to have happen is inevitably when the winds come, when the storm comes, when the trials and tribulations of life come, are those roots going to take hold and keep us firm in our faith. Because a lot of times, in actuality, we find ourselves thinking we are rooted in Christ, but really we are like a tumbleweed in the desert just being blown about every which way. And the crazy thing is, and again, I say this myself, not only do we like to do that, we like to, we like to pull up those roots and we like to replant them every other, every other week. We don't allow the roots to take and allow our faith to fully form. I know that I've found in my times in my life that, man, I just, I've been in a rut. I, I haven't been in my Bible. I haven't had a quiet time. I haven't been, haven't been serving. I haven't been thankful. I haven't been doing these things. And so I'll think, you know what? Next week, next week, I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm, I'm going to get in a good rhythm. I'm going to get in a good schedule. I'm going to do all these things. And then that next week comes and, and I do okay for a few days. And then I, then I fall off the wagon a little bit and I say, all right, you know what? Next week, it's going to be better. Next week, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm get a different Bible translation. I'm going to read my Bible in the morning instead of at night. I'm going to do all these things. And what we keep doing is we keep pulling up those roots and we keep replanting them, never allowing them to fully take shape. And ultimately, what that is doing is not allow those roots to take. We live in a society where every single thing is pulling us in a different direction. The society, what you see on television, the culture, it is pulling you in a different direction. Your job is pulling you in a different direction. Your kids are pulling you in a different direction. Your schedule is pulling you in a different direction. And if we are not fully rooted, then those times come, when those things come, we're going to be blown about every which way. The root has to be unmovable and shaken. And when those roots take form, that is when we are allowed to be built up, as Paul says. What, it means, what does it mean to be built up in the faith? It means that we are growing and maturing every single day, that we're not just reading God's word for the sake of doing it to check a box. 
We're doing it because we want to grow more. We want to know more. We want to be able to learn and teach. It means we have people in our lives that are holding us accountable. It means that we have people in our life that are speaking truth maybe when we don't want to hear it. That's what it means to be built up in Christ. And then when he moves on, he says that we are abounding in thanksgiving. I'll be honest, of all the things in this passage, that's the one that, that gives me the most heartburn. Because when I hear that word abounding, I think overflowing. I just think an excess. And if I'm being honest, I don't know how much I'm abounding in anything. I'm abounding in some things, but, but is it truly thanksgiving? Because I think if we're not careful, and I think in a lot of ways it already has, thanksgiving truly has become a one day of the year thing for us. It's a great time to reflect and, 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 and to celebrate with family of all that, all that we're thankful for, but every single day, are you aware and acknowledging all the things God's done in your life? Yeah, it's great on the good days. It's easy in the good days to, to see the things that God's done and to, when everything's going your way. But it's on those days when we don't feel close with God, those days when we've messed up, even in the the worst moments of our life. Are we thankful for all that God is still doing? We're gonna look at verses eight through 12. This is what it says, moving on to verse eight. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, I want us to take a step back and, and, and really acknowledge something really cool about this passage because if we're, if we're not careful, we'll miss it. As Paul is writing this letter, to the Colossians. He's writing to them from a jail cell with shackles on his hands and his feet. And he's writing to these people talking about what captivity looks like. And for all these people, this, this new teaching, this new philosophy that they were learning, they thought that it was broadening their minds. They thought they were becoming free. But in all actuality, what they were really doing was they were being held captive by an empty philosophy and empty deceit that was ultimately gonna leave them with nothing. The guy that is in chains is more free than any of the Colossians. He's free because he has the freedom in Christ. He knows the gospel. Church, how many things in our life are we chained and shackled to? Those things in our life that we think are great, they give us so much freedom, they give us so much opportunity, we love them, but if, we're, if we actually step out, we come to that point where we realize where those, those shackles won't let us go any further. Are we boldly proclaiming the gospel? Do we live in the freedom of Christ to know that those other things will ultimately leave us empty? Because what our, our cultures do, our cultures entice us with persuasive philosophies and worldly values that leave us empty and derail our faith. We live in a very self-help world. And please hear me, self-help stuff is not a bad thing. Self-help books, self-help podcasts, these are not bad things. But when we solely rely on those for the fulfillment, when those are our only source of growth, I think we need to take a step back and, and think, think through some things. 
One of the things that we talked about just a second ago, really at the heart of the issue is, is the Colossians, they were adding Jesus with all these other things. They thought that Jesus needed all these extra things. We talked about earlier, people read God's word and they think, well, that's great, but what if it also said this? One of our values here at Broadmoor is that we submit to God's word as the ultimate authority of our lives. That means that this book is perfect. We can't, we can't read this word and say, that is really good, but you know what? It would be better if it said this. We can't read this book and say, they didn't really mean that. That doesn't count. There's nothing that can be added or subtracted to from this book. And ultimately, at the heart of the issue, the Colossians, if we're being honest with ourselves, they may have not even seen any problem with any of this. They may have said, hey, we still believe in the gospel. We still believe in Jesus. But ultimately, their failure to affirm Christ as being solely sufficient denied him. Church, how often do we do that? When we feel the need to include anything, when we feel, God, I, I believe you can do all these things, but I need you to just do a little bit more. God, I need you to reveal yourself just a little bit more. God, I need this from you. When we think that Christ is anything more than solely sufficient, we are denying him. In, in verses 9 and 10, when it talks about the whole fullness of deity, it's, it's that beautiful picture of what we just talked about, this, this empty feeling they had that they needed to add more things. And this idea of fullness, it excludes room for any competing doctrines or practices. We have been filled in him who is head of all rule and all authority. Everything. Christ is authority over our lives. We are to submit to his word. The culture says we need more. We need more money. We need more success. We need all these things to be fulfilled. But Christ is solely sufficient in all things. Down in verse 11, we talked about this, this circumcision without hands. Circumcision was that, that physical sign of the covenant between God and his people. And it was that covenant that signified not just the relationship between God and his people, but also the coming Messiah. And that circumcision was only for specific people. But what we know is through the gospel, through Jesus, what he did on the cross for us. It's exactly what Paul says here. It is no longer a physical sign. It's a spiritual one. For the believer, our hearts have been circumcised so that we are member of God's people. This eliminates the need for any sort of further treatment of the body, any more signs, any more physical things, because that was one of the things this new philosophy, this new teaching was going about, saying you needed to do these things. You needed to scar your body. You needed to do all these things. In church, if we're not careful, we live in a very legalistic society. And again, I speak for myself. I know it's very easy for us to check the box, to feel like we need to do more, to say more, to try harder. God, I'm, I'm, God, I'm gonna try harder next week. God, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give a little bit extra in my tithe next week. God, I'm gonna read a little bit longer in my Bible next week. But what we know is that what Christ did on the cross was completely sufficient for all things. We can try harder, we can do more, but it's not gonna matter. It's not about what we do. It is only through what Christ has done for us. And when he talks about having been buried with him in baptism in which we were raised through the faithful, powerful working of God, it's beautiful because on this side of the cross, we as the believer, we get to see that all these things have already happened. We were circumcised. We were buried. We were raised up. All these things have happened. And now it's just like we talked about that, that physical covenant has become a spiritual one. 
and is now extended to all believers. And that Holy Spirit, all this power working of God, that is now extended to each and every one of us that proclaim Christ. It's not about doing more. It's not about trying harder. We are sufficient in all things. Looking at verses 13 and 15, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Church, if you want the gospel, it's right there. We were dead in our trespasses. The car was dead. We were not going an inch further. That, that relationship, that, that connection with God was irreparable. The bridge was not going to be able to be filled by any of us. But in his great love for us, he sends Jesus to bring us back in that right relationship with him. It's that forgiveness that allows us to be in that right relationship with him. In middle school ministry, our verse for this past year has been 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, for if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It is in this, that forgiveness, that as followers of Jesus, we get to have that new identity in Christ. Now, if, God forbid, if I were to ever be pulled over for speeding, which I would never do, but if that were to happen and and a police officer were to ask for my ID, I would give it to him. And that would be his way of acknowledging and recognizing who I am. But on a much deeper level, how do people identify you? Not just by your height, by your weight, by your hair color. But when people see you, how do they identify you? Is it through your success at work, through the success of your kids, by how much money you make, the house you live in? Or do they identify you as a follower of Jesus? One of the things we always talk about in middle school, and I know they hear this so much from me, but if we're talking about the life of the Christian, what, what, each and every one of us has a story. We have a testimony. And that testimony can really be split up into two parts. There's life before you knew Christ, and there's your life after you've known Christ. And when we enter into that new identity with him, it's important that we reflect and look back. Does our life look different before we knew Christ and where we are today? Because church, if we're not careful, if we, if we examine those two things and if we see there's no difference in the life we were living before we proclaim Christ and what it is now, have we truly been changed by the gospel? That identity allows us a new opportunity. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, he set aside nailing it to the cross. When I hear that that term, that record of debt. You know, sometimes people like to talk about, you know, what is the end of our life going to look like when we stand before Jesus one day? There's a lot of different thoughts and things like that. But one of the things, one of the images I kind of get is you're there face to face with Jesus and he pops in that VHS tape and you get to rewatch your life and you see all the things that you did, that record of debt that stands against us. Now, I don't know if there's a whole lot of theology in that, especially the VHS part, but like, I I think there is truth the fact that one day we're going to have to stand before Jesus and account for every single thing we've done. 
And I think if, if you're like me, if, if we were to see that list right now, think about the things you're not proud of in your life, your worst moments, the things you've said, the things you've done, throughout the entirety of your life, we'd probably be pretty sick with ourselves. And upon hearing every single thing, every single word of that, we know that that sin was covered by the blood of Jesus. We get to live in that freedom. We get to walk in that freedom knowing those things are covered. Verse 15, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now, this, this isn't necessarily Jesus saying, ha, 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 I got you. But by his very nature, when he walked out of the tomb, it put a humiliating defeat against his enemies. The men that beat him, that ripped his flesh from his skin, the men that watched him as he died on the cross for hours, when he walked out of that tomb, when he showed the holes in his hands from the nails, it was in that moment that glorious celebration began and that death was defeated. Church, that is what he is talking about in living in Christ. So as we kind of start to land the plane, I'm going to invite our worship team to come back out here. But, but this, is, this is a great time. I don't want you to pack up because there's some, some amazing things going on here. Paul's goal in writing all of this is really, he's writing this because he wants the believer to know what God wants us to know. That walking in Christ, it calls so much of us. We're called to pursue intimacy with Jesus as far as of Christ. When we walk in him, we are required to pursue intimacy with him. I'm not talking about just having a quiet time. Having a quiet time is of the utmost importance. What does it truly mean to have intimacy with Christ? Can we sit there in the moment and hear and feel all that God's done in our life? One of the things, again, it's, I know I reference it a lot, but it's my world. So one of the things I talk about with the middle scores a lot is as a, as a culture, as a society, we we don't do quiet very well. We flood our calendar with as many things as possible. We move from one thing to the next. And you may have different reasons for that. I, I know for me, one of those things that really, I find myself doing that is it, it makes me feel important, makes me feel needed, going from one thing to the next. Makes me maybe not have to dwell on things that I don't want to dwell on. Allows me to forget about those things. I, I always joke, you know, if I ever need the middle schoolers to say something to me, if we're, having a, if we're preaching and I want them to give me feedback, if they don't say anything, the best thing I can do is to just sit in silence. Because that awkward silence is nothing that a middle schooler can take. And so usually five or so seconds in, somebody will make a noise, a sound, because they literally can't sit in the stillness. And church, I think every single one of us could ha- say we have those moments where we don't find ourselves dwelling in the intimacy with Christ. As followers of Jesus, we're called to find fulfillment in the sufficiency of him. There's nothing that we can add. There's nothing that we can do. Christ is truly sufficient for all things. All the things that we search for in this life, all the things that we are longing for that we think are going to fulfill us, if it's not Christ, it'll give you that, that feeling for a moment. But in the end, Only Christ is truly sufficient. 
As far as Jesus walking him means that we claim victorious identity in him. We don't just claim our identity in him. We claim a victorious identity in him. We know that no matter the things that happen in this world, the things that come, the persecution that may come, students, you may go to school, you may get made fun of, you may be called names, but we have a victorious identity in Christ. We know that what he did on the cross was ultimate. It was final and it is truly sufficient for us. Walking in Jesus means that we pursue intimacy with him, we find fulfillment in the sufficiency of him, and we claim identity in him. And as believers, especially those of you who have been believers for maybe many years, I know, again, if you're like me, it can be very easy to become complacent. Complacency is is probably the worst position we can be in. Almost worse than outright not believing. That complacency is a dangerous territory. And if we're not careful, if we sit in that too long, we'll find ourselves feeling empty. We'll start finding, start finding different things to, to fulfill us, to f- provide that spiritual nourishment that we're longing for. Maybe, maybe you don't walk in Jesus every day, but you take a stroll once a week. Paul's saying, every single one of us, every breath you take, Every step you take is in Christ. The world's going to continue to entice you with empty promises and spiritual counterfeits. But church, if we are believers in Christ, those roots, if they take hold, nothing can shake us. And so today, may we walk in Christ knowing who God is, what he has done, and what he is offering to every single one of us today. And so as we enter into this response time, I don't don't even want to say that if this, if this applies to you, because I think this applies to all of us. There's a response here for every single one of us. For the believer in the room, what does your walk with Christ right now look like? Are you experiencing these things? Are you finding sufficiency in him? Do you find yourself longing to replace Jesus with other things to fulfill you? Are you claiming your identity in him? What does your walk with Jesus look like? Maybe you're not a believer in this room. Maybe, maybe you're just here today because you wanted to, maybe you've been searching for those things in this life. Maybe you've been going around trying to find fulfillment all these different places and every single one of them has left you empty up until this point. I want to encourage you, I want to ask that you would see what Christ has to offer you because he will provide you with everything you need. Christ is sufficient for all things. So as we enter into this response time, there's going to be pastors down front. We would love to talk with you. But don't leave this room today without acknowledging, without looking at where you are in your walk with Christ. Because it's not a one-time thing. He is sufficient in all things. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for just this opportunity to stand on this stage and to preach your word, Father. For the people in this room, for the people that are watching online, Father, I pray that every single one of us would have a response in this time. Father, maybe that it would be that we take a look at our lives and we acknowledge that maybe some things need to change. Maybe we need to, maybe we need to be more focused on being thankful or maybe we need to stop finding sufficiency in other things. Father, I pray that you would just 
Give us a boldness to claim identity in you, Father. Every step we take as we walk in you would be for your glory. Father, for those in the room who maybe are not in that relationship with you, Father, I pray that you would just touch their heart, that you would recon- they would recognize just how much you love them and the complete fulfillment that you provide to each and every one of us. So Father, we thank you for this time. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.